Welcome back. Next, we'll look at the first of our dictionaries, The Gardener's Dictionary by Philip Miller. Auckland Library's holding is the 7th edition and was published in 112 numbers between the 16th of October 1756 and 31 March 1759. Philip Miller also features in our next episode where Georgia will discuss a hand-coloured accompaniment to the dictionary. Then we'll end in Eden, or A Complete Body of Gardening, by John Hill. Welcome to Meet a Rare Book. I'm Mark Gosper. Guiding us along the way, and sharing the remarkable stories they contain, is librarian and rare book expert, Georgia Prince. They're still not popular books. They are artworks. Yeah, absolutely. both from the 18th century, about gardening. And this is not landscape design, because most people think, you know, when they're thinking about the 18th century, particularly in Europe, they are aware, possibly, of some of the big names of landscape design, particularly Capability Brown and the landscape design movement in the UK, which was, you know, all about a so-called natural environment really being a very controlled garden environment but with an appearance of the natural world of the natural countryside particularly and that removal of all the formal gardens of the of the 17th century but this is actually about gardening so it's actually about plants and about the types of plants that were coming into Europe from the plant collectors and about how you grow them in a different climate so it's really about growing plants so it's more about it's not really botanical except as it relates to gardening. So the most famous and most useful book that was published in Britain in the 18th century was a book by Philip Miller called The Gardener's Dictionary. And this is it in its seventh edition. It grew steadily throughout the century (laughs) with things being added into it and and things that were in the first edition sort of got separated out and became separate books and then... Some of the illustrations got moved out and became separate books. But anyway, it expanded through the century. But it was based, um, the reason for its success was it was based on the actual experience of the man who wrote the book, whose name was Philip Miller, who was an early nurseryman, really, an early botanist, but an early nurseryman and one of the first directors of the Chelsea Physic Garden in London. So in the 17th century... Plants had often been grown, well, and earlier, of course, the plants had often been grown for their healing properties, you know. So you get herbals, which is a very early European type of precursor to these sorts of books about gardening. And the Apothecaries Company of London decided that they wanted to establish a garden to grow healing plants. And the one that they, well, the land that they leased was at Chelsea, and it was the beginning of the Chelsea Physic Garden, which still exists in a a different form slightly. And he, Philip Miller, became the director, or whatever the term was in those days, of the Chelsea Physic Garden in 1722. And he had a lot of very practical experience about gardening, as well as 
being a man who is often credited for in, for sort of introducing plants, particularly from America, because this is the period before the American Revolution, while where, where America was a a colony, which is hard to believe, but a colony of, of Britain. <laughs> And all the plants, you know, that people were discovering there, you know, excited people and, and they were hoping that they could grow them in their own gardens. But of course, it wasn't that straightforward to transplant plants a, across the Atlantic Ocean to get them to actually then germinate and behave properly in Europe. And Philip Miller was one of the people who was involved in trialling and finding ways you could grow, you know, new plants. So I'm just going to open the book here at the beginning. And the, you can see there's a couple, when we just start, this, this binding is repaired and not probably original, but it's, oh, it might, well, it might, the boards might be. I don't think the spine is. And then here we've got a couple of um, book labels. One's by a man called John Bell and one's by a man called Robert Pick. No information. They're very similar because they're both, if you can see, they've both got exactly the same the same decorative design, but a different name. There was a, a publisher called, a sort of bookseller publisher called John Bell. Could be the same person, was around at the same time, don't know. But interesting, when I tried to find out anything about it and I looked online, I could see that there were a number of other books that also had book plates by John Bell and Robert Pick in the same book. So it's a shared library. It's not, it's not one person's collection, it's two people's collection. But who they are, I don't know, and I haven't had time to find out any more than that, but that's sort of interesting. And then turn the page, and we get our allegorical frontispiece. Oh, yeah, there, uh, that's just a description of when it was purchased. It was purchased from Francis Edwards, which is a British antiquarian shop that has ceased but was very prominent through the 20th century went through several generations uh, for 40 pounds and that I think was in the 70s that's certainly what the accession number indicates and I haven't got it there but um, I think this is not sort of in the early 70s anyway um, and here is the fantastic frontispiece in all its 18th century glory, another copper, um, a copper engraved allegorical, you know, with cherubs up in there in the skies. And I think this is the goddess Flora, probably, or Ceres or something. It will say down here, it's probably Ceres because it's, you know, fruits and, and harvests. And have you, can you read the little it thing? It says, What nature sparing gives or half denies, so healthful industry at large supplies. Very good. <laughs> well, that's all. That's all engraved on a copper plate. So that's you know how how you how it was done. Of course, that means back the front and upside down, which yeah. is which is always interesting when it's when it's lettering. I never know how anybody does that. And then of course there's this great title page, which you know goes on and on and on. And when we were talking about the cookery books last time, you know, I was sort of saying, you know, they almost are like blurbs that we have now. That sort of description of the contents on the title page as well. So this is the Gardener's Dictionary, containing the best and newest methods of cultivating and improving the kitchen, fruit, flower garden and nursery, 
as also for, for performing the practical parts of agriculture, including the management of vineyards with the methods and making, you didn't know that vineyards in Britain, the making and preserving the wine according to the present practice of the most skillful vignerons in the several wine countries in Europe, together with directions for propagating and improving from real practice and experience all sorts of timber trees. That's what's in there. <laughs> the seventh edition revised and altered according to the latest system of botany. So what's, what that's referring to is Linnaeus, the Swedish botanist in the, 17th, uh, the 18th century who changed the way plants were described. And initially, the first edition of this did not borrow or did not accept the Linnaean classification of plants. But slowly over time, Philip Miller came round to it. And in this one, this is, I think, the first time he actually puts in the new names, as it were. And also, Linnaeus came to visit um, Miller, apparently, and there is a sort of story about them walking around the gardens and looking at things. And Miller, who apparently was quite a strong-willed, strong-minded man, going around telling telling him everything, Linnaeus saying nothing. (laughs) (laughs) And then Linnaeus going going around afterwards and naming them all with his new names for everything that he'd just seen, which sort of wasn't entirely comfortable at the time, but Miller thought about it afterwards and changed his mind, so that's good. And then there's, a, you know, the not the usual, but there's a dedication here, which we can expect in the 18th century, to the Earl of Northumberland, who was his patron. And then at the beginning, so this edition of the, there's the preface in which he describes where he's up to, and I'll show you some of these plates in a minute. This edition of the Gardener's Dictionary having been published in numbers weekly. So it actually came out weekly in numbers, which meant that you would buy them each week and then you would, it would be compiled at the end into a, and bound into your own copy. So the, the, the preface and the title page and, and the frontispiece would all be the last things you get. And then you, so it was, this, this particular edition was printed over three years, I think. So it came out from 1756 to 1759. So it would take you that long to acquire it all. It's a dictionary, so it's in alphabetical order. And it has, you know, plant. It has the names of plants. It has the names of, of trees. It has production methods. You know, its ashes are esteemed by some a good superficial dressing for corn and meadowland. And there's also popular names with C references to the, you know, the proper name. Um, anyway, so that's the beginning. So then it says, published in numbers, the public's already acquainted with the nature of the performance and of consequence, it is the less necessary to enlarge on that subject here. But as the bulk has exceeded what was at first proposed, so in other words, it's got bigger, the purchasers have a right to be informed how this happened. (laughs) Because they will have (laughs) committed themselves to this and somehow or other it's got a little bit more expensive. Um, So the plan upon which the computation was at first made, so that's the initial, you know, how many numbers you're going to be buying, contained only one Latin and an English title to each plant, as in the former editions. But when the first number was published, the author was favoured with several letters representing that as the new system of botany published by Dr Linnaeus was now more generally studied than any other, the titles which he had given to the plants would soon be more known, especially to young botanists, and probably be preferred to any other. They therefore wished the author would adopt those names, which they were sure would render the work more complete.' 
When this alteration was agreed upon, it became necessary to add to the new titles of the plants those which had been applied to them in the former editions of the book for the benefit of such as were possessed of any of them. So it made it bigger, basically. Yes. And in this edition included most of the plants that have of late been introduced from foreign countries, and a lot of that is from America at this stage, because that's where they're coming from. So there's a lot of descriptions, but I thought you would probably like to see the plates, because most of us do. There's not a huge number of plates in this edition because they ended up by being published separately, which we'll have a look at on another occasion. But this, this at the beginning, this is, these are the plates that are in this particular book. And so they're copper engravings. And if you look down the bottom, you'll see there's a, a signature that says I, Miller. And I thought, hmm, any relation? <laughs> but it's not. It's a man, it's a man called John Sebastian Miller, who was an engraver, and he was actually Müller, so he was a German, and he anglicised his name, so it's just a happy coincidence that his name is the same as the author. <laughs> I thought perhaps he's, giving, perhaps he's giving jobs to his relatives. I mean, could have done, <laughs> or perhaps it was him, <laughs> but it's not. Yeah. yeah, so you can see them, they're all very fine, delicate engravings. Yeah, all different stamens and things, which of course is one of Linnaeus's, um, whatever the word is, characteristics that help define which plant you've got. So these are all by this man called John Miller, but further on we get a few little sort of more technical plates. So this is like, this is about greenhouses, you know, so you've got like, Versions of plans, if I can find it. So this is mid-18th century greenhouse. Still quite small panes of glass available. <laughs> You're going to have to have a big house, absolutely. But then you, you, you this, these books are not... You know, you're going to have to have a big house <laughs> to, to afford these books. <laughs> or a big-ish house, anyway. They're still not popular books. In that sense, they were a bit more democratic than, say, the William Kent book or the architecture books earlier in the in the century, in this, because they were practical. So they had advice for people like Miller. So, so this new class of people who were breeding plants, the nurserymen or head gardeners, you know, they weren't just for the, you know, for the owner of the estate in the garden. They were useful for the people who actually did the work on the garden. <laughs> I did pick that one up, this one up, because it's by one of the really great botanical artists of the 18th century, and I don't know why there's just one by him in here, and it's just one, one plant. But this is a man called George Ere, who was actually German, but, you know, he did some sort of really expensive, really glamorous, well, he illustrated some really glamorous, expensive books and there's this there's just this one plate by him here oh there's making a stove a madder stove this is that I thought that was quite interesting so this is about making a madder stove to to produce the dye madder which is you know the the red um so there are stoves for greenhouses so they're sort of pages of plans of you know like how you do them this sort of thing quite technical with little numbers on them all right so that's Philip Miller so the, the next one is, that I'm showing you is almost exactly the same date. And this one is called Eden. 
which is a good name. Uh, it's made by a man called John Hill. Its binding is not in such a in good condition, so it's it's um its top board is off. So I've just got to be very careful of it. Um, so this one is called Eden, or a complete body of gardening, and this is by a man called John Hill, who isn't really well. He's he's a bit more of a man of many parts than Philip Miller. But I did think it was quite fascinating, the similarity between the two frontispieces. <laughs> They're not the same. When I first looked at them, I thought, gosh, it's the same picture. It's not, but it's by the same artist. <laughs> and again, Eden, the complete or a complete body of gardening containing plain and familiar directions for raising the several useful products of a garden, fruits, roots and herbage, from the practice of the most successful gardeners and the result of long experience. So this man is not, he's a compiler. He's not the man. He's not a gardener like Miller, but he's got this. And he actually doesn't have his name on the... Mind you, did Miller? Yes, he did. He doesn't have his name on the title page. I think he says he gets it from a, from the papers of a man called Mr. Hale. Must be somewhere on there. But it is definitely by this man called John Hill. And again, it's after the system of Linnaeus, so it's using Linnaean. It has a, a preface or a dedication to his patron, who is the Earl of Butte, who was actually a very powerful man at this point because he was the Prince of Wales's tutor and then proceeded to be a version of a prime minister after that, once George the once he became George the Third. But the plates are quite fantastic. And they're done by a lot of different people, so they're not just done by one artist. But you can see the difference between these plates um, and their detail and the ones I just showed you before in Miller. And in this one is also done from numbers. And you can also, in this one, you can see the numbers. It does actually identify each number. And this one is not organised alphabetically, but it's organised by, by the week in which these plants are at their best. So it's actually following, a, following the year. And of course, you know what you plant in this in this month. And um, there are sixty numbers in this, and it does have the numbers visible. So you can, which you can't see in that. You can't work out, you know, where the division. Well, at least I couldn't work out clearly where the division is. No doubt, if you spend a lot of time working it out, you might be able to work it. But this one actually has a little heading. You know, Eden, a complete body of gardening number two for the first week of September you know, section one flora or the pleasure garden and so on. So this is the first week of September and then it will have its own, I think, its own plate in here somewhere when we get to it. And the other thing about this is that it was issued in uncoloured plates like this as well as hand-coloured plates. So if you wanted the luxury version, you bought the hand-coloured ones and boy, does it look dramatically different when it's hand-coloured. I mean, uh, we don't have the hand-coloured version, as you can see, but there are images of it online and it astronomically raises its value <laughs> because they are <laughs> they are artworks. Yeah, absolutely. I found an interesting little description of Hill because I thought he did sound like quite an interesting man. Like, and he's a bit more of an entrepreneur than Miller, who was just a very dedicated gardener, really. So Hill, yeah, Hill was a man of great energy and intelligence. But he was also a flamboyant character who did not hesitate to air his sometimes outrageous opinions. 
In addition to his scholarly writings, he published a steady series of usually abusive periodicals. (laughs) He was also constantly scheming to make money and to raise his reputation above its rightful altitude, whatever that is. And he was always embroiled in controversies because of his ungovernable proclivity towards impertinence and derision, as well as his overweening vanity. The person who wrote this... He did not like him. He made many confirmed enemies in important circles, a fact that thwarted his his advancement. There you go, (laughs) John I think one of the things that's interesting in this too, from a sort of book point of view, is that you can see quite clearly that these are plates. You know, again, you you can see the mark around the outside that the that the copper plate makes when it's in there. But it's also the size of the paper. It's different from the from the size of the paper because it hasn't been it hasn't been trimmed by the binder, which is quite unusual. So it sort of it makes it quite visible that it's a different that they've been slotted in. You know, and they're single sheets. They're not ba- They're not folded like the rest of them, which have been folded. Twi- uh, you know, once these have been folded once to make and a folio. Exactly how people would get them. <clears throat> they would get them like these numbers, yeah. and then get them bound yeah. by their binder. Yeah, I mean, no doubt the, uh, there would be a bookseller who would have produced a cheap binding for people who just want to buy them. You know, without having gone through this process of, of of subscribing and getting each each number as they go, but yeah, more and more of them. Plates and plates. A word on subscribers. Subscription was a way to fund publishing, especially for expensive productions. The printed list of subscribers then acted as a sort of advertisement about the desirability of the book. But it was also a status symbol for the contributors, denoting their membership of the cultural elite. No, there's no, there's no list of subscribers. It's not like those glamorous yeah, ones. No. It's more, it's, you know, we're moving more towards that 19th century um, publishing model, like Dickens doing his numbers of novels, and then you know, and if it if it's a success, you print more numbers the next time, and then you do more. Uh, it, you know, it's 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 the publishing process being paid for as you go and a lot of the cost in, in publishing are actually materials at the stage it's paper that costs the money it's not labor you know labor people get paid nothing for what they do but the materials cost the money and paper is what costs heaps and that's what publishers are trying to offset you know by getting people to to front up with money at the beginning so they've got the money to buy the paper <laughs> So it's a different arrangement, yeah. There's fantastic plates. The whole thing is full of them. You can see a bit of variety in um, impression too. You know, some of the plates are paler than others. Just shows you how hard it is to get the, to get it even, to get the inking process even. And there is an index. So we're in the 714 page. <laughs> That's quite a massive book. <laughs> I just regard to the index, because I think that might be one of the first indexes. There are some indexes. But yeah, I probably haven't shown. I no. think I have shown indexes. Right. Oh, there are indexes in other books. But it, but given it's that the, yeah. but given that these are reference books in the yeah. way, they're not glamorous publications and they're not literary publications, mm. then they are using that... Mm. Um, you know that need for people to find their way around it. They're not, you're not expected to sit there and read it from cover to cover. Um, but as they came out, sort of in the seasons, mm. 
Um, so it would, this would take a whole year. Yeah, yeah, that's right, absolutely. You get the whole lot at Whereas the end. That, that could take longer. That Well, that I think probably did take longer. Yeah. Yeah, because it's alphabetical and, yeah, and it's got no relation to the seasons. Um, he did do, in the first edition, a calendar. So there was a, as a sort of supplement to it, as part of it, there was something called the Gardener's Calendar that was part of this. But then the book got so big that the Gardener's Calendar had to be a separate book. So we have got a Gardener's Calendar. And I was sort of half, I think, showing it as well, but it all got a bit complicated. Um, But it's much smaller and much less um, glamorous than this. So it's quite a plain little book and it's sort of like half the size and, you know, much smaller. So in a way, the bits got... Um, it's what I said. It got so big, its its parts started to accumulate, and the and what happened with the plates was they ended up by having whole sets of books that were just about the plates, and we have got a later edition of that which I want to show you probably next week or next time, not not next week. Yeah. So one dictionary, one. Um, they're almost exactly the same. So this one is, well, the, the, it finished in, in 1759, this edition, and this is 1757. Um, but they're, you know, they're, they're produced over the previous so many months. Or in that case, I think they think it started in 1756, so it's three years to come out to get, to get that one. Um, Did they continue being published after Cook and Banks? Yeah. They yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah, so there's lots of editions of them. Mm. And particularly the 18th century, this was the, the gardener's book. In terms so, of value as a rare book, mm. would it have been the earlier editions or the later ones? Yeah, well, for things like this, that's interesting because theoretically you would th- the early one, the first one might be the most valuable, but it wouldn't necessarily have to be because of the way it changed. And so each edition has got its own... Um, significance and certainly it's got additional material mm. yeah I mean you find sometimes I, I was like the book dealers sort of um, description when they want you to realize that they are selling something that is not a first edition but they've got a good reason for putting a very hefty price on it they always say something like third and best edition <laughs> <laughs> so so it just depends <laughs> what they what how people how persuaded people are by that argument <laughs> Uncover a truly unique collection. Visit Kura Heritage Collections online. Find them under Heritage on Auckland Library's website. This podcast was brought to you by Napa Takakurero, Auckland Libraries. Please join us again soon. <laughs>